Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Hey, it's signing day. Anybody out there notice? Well, we have here in the doghouse, so let's discuss it on the Believe Podcast Network. Welcome back for this week's edition of The Doghouse with your host, David Murray, brought to you by Believe.com. And yes, it is signing day. Okay. It's second signing day. It's the spring. Let me check the thermometer. It's 60 degrees today. Close enough. Spring signing day, period, which begins, let's see, on February 7th and runs all the way through March. Long period with not a lot of action about to come. I'm not going to be one of those guys that gets old and reminisce about signing days of the past. Back when I was doing the weekly magazine, I can tell you that building up to the first Wednesday of February, after taking care of a whole January of dozens and dozens of official visits and unofficial visits, narrowing who was leaning, who was committing, who was decommitting. Do we even use that word anymore? Um, all the things involved leading up to that single signing day for most players, high school in particular, it was a humongous deal. And signing day parties, oh yes, a fixture on the college football landscape, especially down here in the SEC. I know other parts of the country were somewhat befuddled a little bit by the absolute freakish passion that many fans held for recruiting at a number of programs, maybe most programs, I'm sure every program had their tithe of those, but some were just dominated by fans who I think Steve Robertson summed up well about a certain school that they're bigger fans of recruiting than they are winning football games. I don't get it, but you know what? It keeps the business running and keeps the calendar rolling around. Well, ever since the NCAA loosened up that high school players who were eligible can sign in December, along with all your JUCO players who have met the requirements, to be able to go immediately into senior college. And now with the transfer portal, well, the second signing day just don't mean what it used to. And there are no parties. In fact, at Mississippi State, as of this recording on late Tuesday afternoon, there's not even a true media day planned to discuss recruiting as there was back in December. And on the surface of it, why should there be? At this point, Mississippi State will definitely sign one, and he's already signed. I should say Centrisco uh, McGee, it is the unkept secret that ever since December, he has had the papers to make it official for Mississippi State for his summer enrollment, but he wanted to put it off until the second signing period. And you know what? Let the dog have his day, okay? If that's how a kid wants to play it, well, more power to him because this is a chance to have some fun with it, stand out from the crowd, and not just be part of a larger class in December and get a little spotlight all to yourself. I can't argue with that. If I was a prospect, I would milk it. I've often said that I would take every visit available to all the exotic sites of college football and just just let the process have fun. So I'm not about to criticize a kid for doing it this way. Anyway, he will officially be added tomorrow. A chance of at least one and possibly two more signees. Um, it's junior college wide receiver Leland Smith, uh, Texas native, who is... We understand his strongest lean is probably still Purdue at this point. He visited the Boiler Record program this past weekend, having come to Mississippi State the previous weekend, also considering Miami, uh, uh, Florida, not Ohio. So that's one possibility there out of the JUCO ranks. And then defensive end Josiah Knight, who is an interesting case because he signed with Illinois back in December uh, out of a Tallahassee college. And then... He had to be released from his letter 
for questions about academics, other things. It doesn't seem to be anything really the kid did wrong. Uh, maybe some paperwork and other things just got messed up. Anyway, he had to be released. Now he was back on the market. And it looks like he's going to come down to Mississippi State if Mississippi State really wants him. And obviously Tulane and South Alabama. Now, I know that doesn't sound like a lot of competition, but keep in mind that this is a different sort of case. So don't judge the prospect by who is and isn't recruiting him. Because after all, he did sign with the Big Ten program and was being evaluated, but I believe, by Georgia Tech and others until things just went haywire and he's dropped off those screens. So now Mississippi State has a chance, if they want to do this, to pick up a late one and uh, further flesh out that defensive line, which, as we know, needs everybody it can get added to the roster for the next couple of years. So not a huge signing day. Still, I think, okay, this is the media guy in me talking that, yes, it'd be nice to have a press conference with Jeff Levy because, A, we haven't talked to him since uh, signing day back in December, I believe it was the 20th, and B, even though it's just a couple of guys officially today, you've got 15 transfers who have come in for the spring semester. What I'm told is that Lebby and staff, who have been nonstop recruiting, and boy, is that the truth, not just for these late pickups, not just for the transfers, but they have been just smashing it, going after signings for the 25 and even 26 classes. Out on the road, constantly on the phone, making every legal contact during the visit periods, now the dead periods here doing whatever they can behind the scenes legally to keep setting that stage. But at this point, we understand that Levy just wants to give his staff a break, and they deserve it. I mean, quite a few of these, uh, I guess they have homes in Starwell. They may be living out of apartments for all I know at this point because so many were hired on into December and immediately got busy recruiting. So they aren't quite ready to talk about things. They want to get at rest, probably get their families settled in, and uh, get some normalcy back in the home life as well. Can't begrudge them for that. Still, it would be nice to talk to them, and we are going to keep working on it. Mississippi State was thinking of a full media day on Wednesday, and it just didn't pan out for various reasons like that. And the other reason we understand, too, is that a number of these assistant coaches would love to talk to us, but they just don't know enough about their current players. It would not be fair to pin down some of these guys and say, well, uh, how do your linebackers or how do your uh, tight ends stand at this point when they haven't barely any contact with them since December, since they even arrived more busy about the future than they are the current roster. Meanwhile, that current roster, of course, has been really involved with the strength coach, which is what you expect this time of year. So there's just not a lot they could tell us directly that would probably hold up in the spring camp. So that's going to happen later. It's going to get done at some point, I would suspect later this month. From what we understand, spring football will be starting sometime around March 18th or 19th after school resumes following their spring semester break, which I believe is the 11th through the 15th. So once that's done, and that will allow Levy and staff to go pretty much nonstop from the beginning of camp all the way through the maroon-white football game, uh, I believe, what, April 20th on Super Bulldog weekend. So yeah, there are various philosophies on that. We've talked about this in the past, and Mississippi State's done it different ways in the past. I think one year that uh, Mike Leach had two practices, then turned everybody loose for spring break and didn't have the next practice until the Thursday after the week they came back, which uh, 
it gave the coaches something to look at during the uh, almost two weeks off. But at the same time, how much retention was there? Or were they just getting the non-contact days out of the way? I don't know. Everybody does it differently. And they have to work around the spring break, the spring academic calendar as well. And, of course, at Mississippi State, since Super Bowl weekend is always time for the home baseball game, they're kind of constrained by that calendar as well. Not only that, but the end of the spring semester, too. And anybody who gets injured in spring ball, you want to give them a chance to recover. But, you know, semesters are ending around the 1st of May. So, hopefully... You want to avoid the injuries, but you're kind of running some risk. I can see why many teams start their spring ball the 1st of March, some even in late February, and get it over and done with. And, of course, I don't even know. I have no earthly idea how schools in the quarter system do it, but I know there are many programs that just want to get this done as early as possible in the event of injuries as well, and plus to take care of any academic issues. I know we're going to be talking in the future about do teams need to just start rescheduling the spring camp built around the NCAA's transfer portal dates, which have flexed the last couple of years. Uh, This year it will be April 15th through the 30th, and now that it's been cut down to just 15 days, that's not the issue. The issue is at Mississippi State and quite a few schools in the south and possibly west, there's still a week of spring ball to be played. And then guys would have maybe a week after that to decide to go to the portal or not. Never mind. Um, Schools start figuring out, okay, who have we lost? And now who do we recruit to pick up and get them enrolled in time for June? All sorts of things happening there. And no, I'm not going to spend any time on today's podcast going over the ruling uh, regarding Dartmouth basketball or the court cases going on between, I believe, what is it, uh, Virginia and Tennessee, those states, maybe Florida's involved uh, with the courts about NIL, whereas NCAA has been ruled, I think a judge said, to still, their rules on NIL are still in force. What that means, well, I'm not being cynical about it, but I'm not sure there's any force behind any rules the NCAA has anymore regarding NIL. And all the whatever rules they have are going to be changed, whether they will or not. Don't want to get into that today. That's something to, to address as we get deeper on into spring. But just kind of a heads up there. It'll be a light signing day. Not a whole lot of uh, hoorah out of Mississippi State. I understand that Levy will release some statements prepared for media use about everybody they do sign. And then just take it from there and wait for the official announcement on when spring football does start and what the practice dates are. Hopefully get some word on policies as well. Will it be open to media? Will it be open to the public? What's the scrimmage plans? For a new staff doing new things, different ways, you always have to adjust. And yeah, we media selfishly want every chance we have to watch it. Uh, understand, football practice is boring. And in, in, to a large extent, it can be boring. But when you're in our business, you really need every chance you have to watch them and try to figure out what's going on, see who's hurt and who's not, uh, get a feel for what coaches prefer you not report. Um, And I want to say this too. One thing I thought Zach Arnett did well was opening up the last 15, 20, sometimes 30 minutes of his practices in preseason or spring for media observation. We got to see a heck of a lot more about the team in those periods because it was all seven on seven or 11 on 11 instead of uh, seven on air or individual drills, guys running through tackling dummies or all sorts of things like that. 
I don't know what this staff wants to do. That will be find out. We have been told it's a possibility quite a few practices will be in the morning. And no, I'm not a morning person. It's why this farm boy had to leave the farm, one of many reasons. But getting going in the morning has never been my strong point. However, I like the idea of football practices being done in the morning and get it over with and have all afternoon to write it up and report and including do these doghouse podcasts for you, the listener. Well, all that's going to shake out in coming days, but stay tuned tomorrow. We'll have the recruiting news on Gene's page as it arrives and probably writing up a buyer or two of somebody who may not even sign, but that's just what you have to do in this business. So no complaints on our part. Now, where are their complaints? Let's go indoors. We talked last week about, yes, it was going to be an uphill challenge for the Bulldogs playing at Ole Miss and then playing at Alabama. It's still frustrating, not just that the Bulldogs lost both games and remain winless in true road games. I think, what, 0-6 right now? It was how they lost. If they just defend the perimeter any kind of better and keep a grip on the ball and don't give up some shots, even right before halftime, you can feel the momentum change there at Ole Miss, you probably steal that first road win. Alabama State was not going to win, but you didn't have to get blown out. So these are the things. Yes, record is all that ultimately matters, and we'll speak more about that when we start discussing where State stands in the net rankings as opposed to their record. But you want to look correctly competitive. You want to look like you know what you're doing and then that you have an effort to do those things. Chris Jans and staff are having problems figuring this team out. I don't even think this team can figure itself out lately. When they play well, you've seen what they're capable of. I mean, let's not dismiss they defeated a really good Tennessee team and a really explosive Auburn team on the home court, yes, but the Bulldogs beat them, probably should have beaten Alabama in the home game, and as mentioned, at Ole Miss, they had an excellent chance to walk out on Oxford with a win. Yeah, the rivalry aspect matters, and we will always play that up or play it down as necessary. The simple fact was that was a great chance to pick off that first road win and keep you online. Well, instead, they're 3-6 and six with a, a home loss, of course, mentioned to Alabama. And so they're behind the curve in the first half of SEC season. Now, as PR Director Matt Dunaway does not tire of pointing out correctly, eight of the nine SEC games Mississippi State has played have been against teams in the NCAA's Quadrant 1. Eight out of nine. And the ninth game was Vanderbilt, who, by the way, finally got their first win in the conference this past weekend. So, yeah, it's been an uphill schedule for the Bulldogs. But a team that intends not just to get an NCAA bid, but to contend in the NCAA tournament, you don't go 3-6 and six to start out SEC season, even if you are playing a front-loaded schedule. You can, you've got to be much closer to break-even, and this team should. Yes, South Carolina is a much better team than we ever imagined after opening night. Yes, Alabama is really good at home and really aggressive offensively wherever they are. They don't care if they miss something like two-thirds of their three-pointers because they're going to make enough of them to set their offensive pace. But the Bulldogs lost a chance at Oxford that's going to come back, and I fear 
drag them down towards the end of the season. Now, not as much as the Southern University lost. That is an anchor, and Jan said it back in December. That's going to be there. They can't erase it. They're just going to have to live with that all the season and try to overcome it. An SEC road win is one way of doing it. An SEC road win against a quad one opponent is absolutely a way to do it, and State didn't do it. So now, where are they? Well, like I said, 3-6 and six SEC, and I believe that places them 11th as uh, the Tuesday night games were beginning. Yet they're seventh, they have the 7th best net score in the SEC, and they're number 44 nationally. That's Again, that's as of Tuesday afternoon before the games also resume. That's only a 7-place drop from last week. In fact, they didn't drop at all after losing at Ole Miss. Only the Alabama loss combined with that knocked them seven places down. They have been lower, but they've also been a lot higher. At one point, they were up to number 27. So here they sit at four net of 44. They, I think what the record is, three and six now against quad one teams. They only have one quad four loss, again, Southern University, but any quad four loss, especially on your home court, is like losing two games. That's just bluntly how it works. So where do they stand in some tournament terms? Because, you know, what is it, February 6th? In a month, they'll be playing the SEC tournament. The regular season's over. Will State go into the tournament needing to win games to get an NCAA berth like last year? Well, that's up to them, but you better start winning now. We've How often have we said it before? How often are we going to say it again? The net is good. You need W's. And this next couple of weeks is when you've got to get those W's. Right now, State, I believe uh, the ESPN brackets have them in the last four buys. That's not one of the you know last four out. It's better than that, so they would be ahead of the play-in game status of last year. Still, you're uncomfortably close to it. Interesting, they are right behind Ole Miss and Texas A&M and right ahead of Florida. That's four SEC clubs living life on the bubble right now in a year where the bracketology gurus have nine conference clubs projected to be in the tournament at this point. That's tied to the Big 12 for the most in the country. And I, I like many, I'm sometimes guilty of not really appreciating just how solid, I'm not going to say great, but solid the SEC is. I don't think Alabama and Auburn are great teams. I think Kentucky could be a great team on the nights where everything works for them. But it's a really good league. It's a very competitive league. And Mississippi State can compete, but they've got to get the wins. And something has just been a disconnect there. The frustrating part is the defensive side. I wrote the other day that, yes, let me give you an example of how statistics can skew things. State is listed as the best three-point defensive team in the SEC by percentage. Well, numbers don't lie. They are. Now, we can always debate how much do you really defend a three-pointer because so many of them are open shots or even not even late in the shot clock kind of things. I, that's a little difficult to define as far as, quote, defending the three-point line. Still, you can't argue the fact that teams miss a lot more than they make against the Bulldogs. Even Alabama did. They didn't shoot that well from the line, but they believe in quantity over quality. And uh, what was it the old guy said during World War II that uh, quantity has a quality of its own? Well, that showed up in the way Alabama approached it offensively. Point being, State still statistically is good against the three-pointer. 
However, I docked those three-pointers, attempts and makes from the overall shooting and found out that right now Mississippi State opponents, and this is not just SEC, but everyone the Bulldogs have played, are making a titch under 50% of every shot taken inside the arc. Uh, run that again. 50, right, 40, uh, 49.5% of shots taken inside the arc, two-point attempts, whatever distance, are makes for the opponents of the Bulldogs this season, conference and non-conference. That is a problem. It means that State is just not getting in position to defend some of these shots, or when they do defend them, and here's a sore point, they're giving up a lot of offensive rebounds and putback points. Uh, nothing cheap about them. I'll never call putbacks cheap because somebody's got to get in position to catch his teammates' miss. But that's what the Bulldogs are supposed to stop. This was a team that defended and rebounded well last season. In some cases, they are defending well this season, not consistently, but they can, at least when they're full health, and that's something to address in just a moment. But they're giving up second chances, and then they're giving up the mid-ranges. Other shots are just going down. And when teams can play that, when teams are pretty confident they can make half their shots without having to resort to the three-pointers, You've already got a comfort level playing against the Bulldogs right now that just was not expected at all. That that number really surprised me, that this team is giving up that kind of percentages on the routine two-pointers. So something is just not clicking about the defense, and I don't think it's going to get any better now that D.J. Jeffries is out for at least a while. They had a knee injury at Alabama. Uh, we talked to Coach Jans on Monday morning. He did not make it sound like it would be a long-term injury. They do expect him back, but when, well, that's going to depend on when all the swelling, everything goes down, how quickly and get him back into a groove. Of course, guard Trey Fort uh, missed another game. He's got a thumb injury on his shooting hand, and that's not going to affect his defense. But if you can't shoot, well, even on this defensive-oriented program, you can't be on the floor most of the time. Now, of course, he's having trouble getting on the floor sometimes because when you have a Josh Hubbard out there who plays the same position and is lighting it up more often than not, uh, you're going to be playing a lot more depth and rotations there. And uh, State needs Sean Burphy back in the range right now. they got to get him back healthy. He has dressed out, and he is making the road trips. He just hasn't been able to play, or certainly not the level that the staff feels comfortable putting him on the court right now. And you know with the bodies they need out there, if they – if they thought he could play, he would be playing at this point. So State's running a little bit thin there in those positions. And I think that's taking a toll on the defensive efforts as well because the more minutes you play, it, the math can't be argued with. I don't care what a good position condition you're in. The more minutes you have to play during the grind of the regular season, it just starts adding up. You know, Jams had an interesting comment on uh, Monday too got towards the end of it and was asked about some situations now that injuries have popped up. And he said that they thought through recruiting, uh, through the transfer portal this past year, that they had addressed a lot of those issues. And he just said kind of wryly, it just hasn't developed as they thought it would. That's interpreting that is to say, these guys should be playing better than they are. I don't know what buttons to push at this point. They've just got to figure it out somehow. Maybe the team has to figure it out for themselves because the coaches are doing what they can. They know this team is more capable, and certainly this is an experienced team. 
and Jan's had a cautionary note about that. It's easy for people in my profession and for fans as well to say, well, this team was, correctly, 2-7 and seven at this point last year compared to 3-6 and six this year. Hey, one game better is still one game better. However, that team was able to put enough together to get into the play-in round. I know, I know, you're not supposed to call it that anymore. I do because, A, I've been calling it that way a long time, and, B, that's really what it is. Regardless. Just because they've been here before, though, Jan's warned, doesn't mean it automatically will follow that the second half of the season is going to produce the same kind of run they put together last year. Now, it should, if you're looking at the schedule. Uh, look at the net rankings of coming up. Let's see, Georgia, number 88, and that's the best net state's going to face outside of Ole Miss in the remaining five games in this winnable stretch. You've got Missouri. I believe they're, what, 136, Arkansas 131. I may have them transposed there, but either way, they're down in the 130s at Missouri on Saturday. Arkansas coming to town next week. Mississippi State really, 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 and I could say again, really, needs to rip off a three-win streak here. Take advantage of the home court first. Win at a winnable Missouri, who just lost to Vanderbilt, by the way. It tells you what kind of shape they should be in. You get those, and you're back 500 SEC, and you're feeling pretty good about yourself. You've got the rematch with Ole Miss coming, and as well as you played them, for the most part, up on their court, you feel like by then you should have your roster back healthy enough and you're able to get some guys out there. And Josh Hubbard is going to put a complete game together. He had a great first half at Oxford before they really started focusing on him. State so badly needs that third offensive option. Well, that night, of all things, it turned out to be the guy who lost his starting job who came out there, uh, Deshaun Davis, was able to come on and have his best offensive game and forever out there off the bench. So maybe he's easing into his role as well. You know Shaquille Moore is capable of giving those points. Cam Matthews, well, the glue guy on the team, exerts so much in some areas that sometimes offense pays the price. State has the personnel, if they get people back healthy, particularly Jeffries, to go on a run here. Oh, and by the way, after Ole Miss, it's LSU, who I believe was 93 in the net. So you've got five games here, all of them winnable. In fact, I would say State absolutely should, no excuses, win four of the next five games. I'm not saying which one will be the loss because things just happen. You, you look at even the good teams in the league are just losing games, are getting scares that by all statistical matchups and all things that you square off, think, well, that shouldn't happen. Well, it does. And I think that's a reflection again. This is a super competitive SEC. And the old saying of whoever shows up ready to play that night is in the best position to win and probably will win. And the home court means a lot this season. But State has got to win that game at Missouri this coming weekend. You've got to defend the home court. I think the key is Georgia. This may be the most important game of the season. It's weird to say that when you're just starting the second half of your conference schedule, but I think Georgia is the key to it. You beat Georgia and you start feeling good about yourself again. You've got winnable games at Missouri and then Arkansas, who's really been struggling this season. You go on this three-game streak, build momentum, just roll the dice. Whoever shows up hottest when the rematch with Ole Miss then at LSU, 
Jan's team can all of a sudden completely flip the narrative. And they've done it. Think about how rough they've looked in stretches and then came back and played a beautiful game against Auburn. Think about the way they played against Tennessee. You just didn't see that one coming, and it wasn't a fluke. That's the way this team is capable of playing. There's nothing out of that out of the ordinary. What's out of the ordinary is some of the struggles defensively, but hey, you start scoring points, your defense is going to get better just by simple osmosis. That's probably not the right phrase, but hey, just go with it. My point again, here's a great opportunity to entirely change how this season is being viewed, how this team feels about itself, and what its postseason opportunities are going to be. You win four of these next five. Never mind. Sweep five? Okay, that's crazy talk, given that we haven't seen that kind of consistency out of this team, but they can. So let's just say four of the next five, you're in really good shape going the last couple of weeks of conference season, and you feel really good about your NCAA, then you're just playing for status and seeding, and do you have to go to the tournament and win games, or do you feel a little more relaxed going into it? Well, get healthy, get the minds right, and beat Georgia on Wednesday. That, to me, is going to be a really watershed moment for this team, one way or the other, and we'll have to see how it plays out. What is playing out right now is a team that is on a winning streak. Sam Purcell's team. I don't think we can give high enough praise to what they pulled off last week. Yes, the win over LSU was the high point. But they were able to come back just with almost no break at all and somehow just will themselves to a win over a bad Kentucky team. Yes, Kentucky is a bad team. But State was exhausted of body and mind and was able to pull it out in overtime Bless you, Debrisha Poe, for stepping up to a team that has struggled all night at the Arc and bomb, 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 bomb. Put those in, state wins in overtime. They carry that good feeling to Texas A&M, look really rocky for a half, then just say, okay, let's play ball and take over and win. Now they have a four-win streak going back to Florida as they prepare to host a couple of games uh, this week. You've got Georgia coming in on Thursday evening. And that's a team that produced Sam Purcell's most humiliating loss of his first season. And one of those inexplicable nights, I think the final score was something like 62-34. to 34. Everything went wrong for the visiting Bulldogs that night. Well, they were able to bounce back from that and have a solid finish to the regular season and into the postseason, as you recall. But now you've got George on the home court. This is a team that's been struggling in their own right, so... State can take advantage of this. Then you have a rematch with Florida, who State began their winning streak with just a couple weeks ago down in Gainesville. If this team goes on a six-run tear right here, I mean, you've got to really start considering Sam Purcell for some Coach of the Year honors. And how he's doing it, well, I think it's more how the team is doing it. And he'll be one of the first to go along with that. This team has an amazing willpower that they've shown in those Kentucky and Texas A&M wins, and for that matter, against LSU, because there were plenty of opportunities to crack that night with the defending national champions on your court and uh, an officiating crew that wasn't giving you any breaks on your own court and State won it. That team is showing some real grit. I think uh, another club could probably learn some lessons watching how the ladies are playing these days. 
So they have an opportunity to really put themselves in good position. Right now, the bracketology people have them as an eight seed. Now, that's not ideal. Um, just inside baseball right there. But you know, nothing that you who follow basketball more religiously than even I do will say you don't want to be an eight or nine seed because you're going to play a team that's basically your equal and then immediately have to go in and play a number one seed. You'd love to finish seventh, but if you can't finish there, you want to finish 10th. Okay. <laughs> I think at this point, you just, you're playing for seeding in a lot of ways, except we had our press conference this morning with Purcell and he made one of those just statements that I believe he's he's probably repeating it to his team way more than he is to the fans, but he wants the fans to know too. He said, yeah, their th- March is ahead. He said they've got to finish February strong because, you know, the regular season ends with February. And this is a team that's got a chance to finish it strong. You, you pull off these two home wins, as they probably should, and you've got some real momentum going down the home stretch of your regular season. You're playing again for seeding. You should be ranked. And I believe the numbers in the Associated Press poll would have had the state something like 28th or 9th if you went that deep into it. And frankly, they deserve better than that. I think that's a little disrespect being involved. But at this point, who cares? They seem to be having fun. They've developed some chemistry. They're getting some bodies back healthy. And there are some kids who are really accepting roles. Even if it's just three, sometimes four minutes, Purcell's bunch is getting them to play those roles and get out there and just make it all work. So that's been a fun bunch to watch, and we hope to keep watching them more. All right. Oh, we're up to, what, 33 minutes now. Okay. Ten days. Baseball is here. I attended a couple of the scrimmages, and... I'm going to leave most of the analysis, as I said before, to Mike Nemeth and Steve Robertson, who are doing the in-depth reporting. Steve more so once you get through tomorrow's signing days, but Mike has been giving you the box scores, the play-by-plays essentially, breakdowns on who looked good, who did what in the scrimmages. I'm going to give you my quick snapshot there. A lot of pitching depth. A lot of pitching depth. I'm not sure what the assigned roles are going to be at this point. That may take weeks, and I mean weeks into the season for that to shake out. But they've got choices. They need some guys to really grab roles. It'd be nicer. But, you know, Coach Justin Parker is revamping this staff and his instruction methods and his practice methods as well and how they scrimmage. And I thought the pitching this past weekend was really pretty good. Offense dominated the first weekend. But this past weekend, I'm not going to say the pitching dominated, but it certainly looked better in a lot of aspects. And and we know the hitting is going to be good. It's going to be really challenging to see. You know, who do you put where? I mean, do you lead off with Imani Larry? You know that Dakota Jordan and Hunter Hines are going to be 3-4 or 4-3 or in some sort of mix out there. Who's your second guy? Do you use somebody like David Mershon in the two-hole, a guy who can move the bases and put the ball down, do some things? Or do you you put him further down in the order to be one of those kind of guys that just makes a few things happen there to keep innings going? Uh, Where does Ross Highfield fit in, assuming that he does hold on to his catching job there? Because there's some pretty good backstops here in preseason already showing that there's stuff with the glove. It just comes down to, again – who meshes best with what pitchers Parker wants out there in what day's situations. Defensively, 
Yeah, still some question marks there because your best offensive lineup may mean cobbling together the defense a little less than you want it ideally. But I can say this, I think the corner defense is going to be much improved this year, especially at third base. Of course, you can alternate Mershon at shortstop and second if you don't want to use Amani Larry at second base. You've got choices out there. Um, saw a few issues with outfield defense, maybe picking up the balls, um, tracking them properly, uh, something that sounds so simple. Hey, that's why you have preseason, and that's why they practice it so much because what they make look so easy during the season, you still got to teach it pretty hard here in the weeks leading up to it under all sorts of high sky or low sun conditions. But anyway, check out Mike Nemus reporting on this as we're getting close down to it. Again, 10 days, opening day, Air Force series coming in. And the grass looked really green on Duty Noah Field watching those scrimmages by daylight. All right. It's already the evening here in Stark Vegas. We thank you for checking in on this weekend's edition of the Doghouse. This week's, I'm sorry. We'll be on the road tomorrow while signing is going on. Uh, Steve and Rion will have their reports on signees, and uh, Rion is doing a great job evaluating prospects who've been visiting for the 25 and 26 classes. Neil Spinsky and his stop report evaluating particular prospects on a pretty regular basis there. So your football recruiting coverage is not going to slow down just because a short signing day is over and done with. We'll keep you busy. We'll keep providing you material. And we'll keep the door to the doghouse open here on the Believe Podcast Network. This is David Murray. Thanks for checking in. We'll be talking to you next week. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.